everyone, it's Chloe, and I'm so excited to share something fabulous with you, Vogue's first ever global fashion community, Vogue Club. Our members get to mingle with Vogue editors, yes, including me, and fellow fashion enthusiasts at exclusive events around the world. And that's just the start. Membership opens doors to the fashion industry, bringing you expert career advice and insider style and beauty tips. What are you waiting for? Head over to Vogue.com membership to join. And here's a little treat. Use code TRT20 and snag 20% off your membership. That's TRT20 for 20% off your ticket to Vogue Club. Are you in? This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. This is The Run-Through. I'm Chloe Mao. And I'm Shai Minardi. Exciting show today. We have Margot Robbie. Whoa, Barbie in the Barbie flesh. Barbie herself. Well, it's actually on Zoom, but yeah, nevertheless. But she was on camera. Yeah. <laughs> but first, we're here with Taylor Antrim, Vogue's deputy editor and resident film critic, um, because this week is Barbenheimer, which I just love last. to say. We've been waiting. <laughs> It's great to be here. Taylor, who are you? Who are you? I am Taylor Antrim. I am the deputy editor of Vogue and a um, sometime guest on this uh, beloved podcast. What is Barbenheimer? Okay, Barbenheimer is the serendipitous occasion that we have Oppenheimer and Barbie opening on the same day, and people took great delight in this online. Why? Um, Because these movies seem like uh, total opposites of each other. You have the bright pink sort of uh, Greta Gerwig second, third, fourth wave feminist retelling of the Barbie myth. And you have Christopher Nolan, um, I would say, indulging his uh, History Channel side and giving us a (laughs) three-hour great man uh, drama thriller about um, J. Robert Oppenheimer, the father of the nuclear bomb. One is like the – your daughter's like – fun-filled pink room on the third floor and the other is like the man cave in the basement where <laughs> where your like granddad is watching, you know, World War II documentaries all day. And they are crashing together on the same day, which is Friday. Why are you equipped to <laughs> talk about Barbenheimer? Because I write about I write about a lot of things for Vogue. Um I but I write about movies quite a bit and review them for the site and um in the magazine. So I'm sort of a movie guru for you. Okay, great. Does that work? Chill, but yes. I mean, you asked. You asked. Has the box office already shown that people are doing this, or is this like just a sort of— I mean, there's been a lot of hyperventilating about how this is going to be good for, you know, box office returns because um, we are in a swoon for Hollywood box office, I would say. I mean— and so what does that a, mean? A dip? That means a dip. Okay, Chloe. Yes, a dip. Well, to me, I think swoon is like a good thing. Like me he's too. Swoony. I was, I was like, <laughs> it's true. It's like one of those words, uh, like uh, cleave. Cleave means cut. But it also means join together. Oh uh, yeah. What are those words that mean these the exact opposite? You should have wow. podcast on that. Okay. Right. <laughs> anyway, there were lots of headlines about how. Uh, Barbenheimer is going to save us because people are going to do the two, the double and see both of these movies. Right. But who um, is really going to do that? That's my question. And also, I hope, hope to God you're Maya seeing Barbie second. 
Really? Why? Why in that order? <sighs> I don't know. Oppenheimer is it's okay. A okay, real I want downer. I want to orient our listeners on some things. Chloe, you <laughs> you went to Oppenheimer. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong. You went to Oppenheimer at a very exclusive VIP screening Ooh. over the weekend <laughs> that was delayed because a very VIP member of the audience. Uh, missed her ferry from Nantucket or flight from Nantucket. <laughs> That's right. Oh, to dear. get to the screening, so that is a window <laughs> into the movie-going life of Chloe. But I'm not done. You tell <laughs> tell tell our listeners uh, whether or not you finished the. Okay, movie. it was a 3 p.m. Friday screening. It's a good time for a screening. Well, you not if asleep. it's a three-hour movie. And um, my our nanny leaves at six. Yes, yes. And yeah. I like to be home for bath time with my kids. And it. 5.45, they were still talking about nuclear physics, and I was like, oh, all right, gosh. I'm out of here. I'd rather hang out with Alice than just see this through. Were you in the she middle of a row? finish it? No, I left. She oh left. She left. I liked Hyper, guys. it, but I left. <laughs> did you Did you have to climb over people to get out? <laughs> no, I, I knew I was probably going to leave. Okay. So you sat so at I the end of the row. I strategically positioned myself. Did you make it to the explosion? <laughs> yeah, yes. Okay. And that I felt like once I got there, that was the climax. It was right. Thrilling to watch, especially after reading that there was so little CGI involved. Like, I, I was very there for that. I could have cut a middle hour. A middle hour yeah. is the hour you would cut. Yes. Ha- having not seen the ending. That's right. You are saying that the middle. Okay. Okay. And I'd also like to just. Like my mom fell asleep for the middle hour and she was like, that is the best movie ever. And I feel like maybe that's why. So. <laughs> uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer. <laughs> Was a American physicist who was tapped by the U.S. government um, in during World War II when there was rumor that Hitler was creating a nuclear bomb, and they invested. Matt Damon in as the lead uh, sergeant invested two billion dollars and two years into building an entire town in New Mexico on you know indigenous lands that I'm sure were completely ruined after that, and then building a nuclear bomb, the atom bomb that they then tested on site, and that's the most thrilling climax of the film. And then there's this sort of hour denouement of which you didn't see. That's right. So uh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was called the Trinity. Uh, the bomb was called the Trinity, and it is a truly amazing set piece in that uh, Christopher Nolan has this thing about resisting the move towards CGI everything. So there was there's actually this incredible structure that they place the bomb on. The bomb is actually the size that it was, and the explosion what is— What was the size of the bomb? Well, it's like a very small car. So it's like it's like a panda, you know, like one of those cars. Uh, okay, 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 okay. So you okay. could you can't quite wrap your arms around it. Was it and square looking? It's round. Oh, okay. And okay. it's got a lot of things coming out of it because. Is it accurate to what it actually? I believe so. One okay. gets the feeling watching this movie that <laughs> they were it slavishly <laughs> accurate. Whoa. Okay. Um, and uh, anyway, the the explosion is a real explosion. There was some reporting that you know there's a little bit of enhancement and they slowed it down so it seems bigger. But you do have this feeling that you're watching something which was really made by a film crew and really uh, filmed, and that's quite exciting. Right. I would say that this is three hours of men in very good suits talking to each other. Uh, yeah. And it is slightly curious to me that you have a, a movie which is basically that and it is edited like uh, a thriller. Yes. And has the uh, insistent score of like a Jason Bourne movie. Yes. And I kept sitting there going like, wait, wait, wait. 
do they think that we're watching The Fugitive <laughs> or North uh, by Northwest? Like this is like an Eric Romer movie. I mean, people are just talking to each other for hours and hours yeah. and, and hours. doing like uh, chalk equations on this. a board. I mean, I did. You're What's not your selling overline? it to me. I did like it. Okay. I would say my overline is that I failed to get emotionally invested in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I was impressed by it, but I didn't really feel anything. And I was in a screening where there was sort of an industry screening and there were people who were in tears. And I just looked really? around. And I, exactly. I was like, what are you people crying in tears? about? Oh, that's so interesting. Um, and uh, for me, I mean, the, the moral quandary of this movie, it's real. It's like, you know, Oppenheimer created this, you know, weapon of mass destruction and authored you know, the era that we're living in now. And he bears that moral responsibility. After I saw the movie, I was like reading an interview at Sun, the Sun Valley Conference with Sam Altman, the founder of uh, OpenAI and ChatGPT. Oh, right. yeah. And okay. it's interesting. These like extremely yes. intelligent, these geniuses who create something and then have to bear the moral weight of what will those be used for and yeah. how will they alter the universe mm. we know. You're absolutely right. Like that's like the timely thing about the movie. There are these moments where they – the, the physicists themselves don't actually know after they set this bomb off if it will uh, make the atmosphere uh, ignite. Poor Matt Damon with his mustache was like, uh, can we get that to a zero chance? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, the, the, you, the cast is amazing. Like every oh, time. They're so fun. Every time you turn around, there's another like incredible name trotted on. Wow. Benny Safdie, Josh Hartnett, Rami Malek, Kenneth Branagh. Gary Oldman, wow. uh, Casey Affleck, Robert Downey Jr. You forgot Robert Downey, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, but he's not like, like one of the physicists. But yes, he's yes. a main character. Um, and they have a WhatsApp group called the Oppen Homies. No, who does? All the actors. Oh, come on. Oh. This, is, this is the stuff we need from the VIP screening. <laughs> How'd you know that? I read in the New York Times. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's uh, sad. Too bad. Oppenhomies, tell us about Barbie, which I, like you with Oppenheimer, have not seen the whole movie. I've seen a little bit of it, uh, but not the whole movie. Yeah, we saw the whole I thing. I have to say, after reading uh, the New York Times Magazine profile on Greta Gerwig and sort of Mattel, I, I just, I feel I'm, I'm more there for it now. I just, just what, the argument was... It was this almost impossible feat of creating a Greta Gerwig-esque movie that's a a sort of a a movie with an auteur's point of view that also satisfies Warner Brothers and Mattel. And she kind of did that. Mm. And it's zany and and chaotic, but I I loved that about it. So this is like really, really good branded content is what you're telling me. Kind of, yeah. And I mean, it goes off the rails, but I, I... Felt like that was okay. I was I was along for the ride enough for that to be a thing that was happening. Yeah, I just felt like could it have been any? I mean, could anyone have done a better job? I don't think so, right? I think that is the question because the world uh-huh. we're living in now is one where these big auteurs, as you put it, are going to be handed you know pieces of IP and asked to make something right. out of them. And you know, just tracing tracing the progression from Lady Bird to Little Women to Barbie tells a story about what happens to directors that we're really excited about in Hollywood that I find a little bit deflating and depressing. So, you know, uh, Lady Bird being an original story, which I thought was an incredibly exciting movie to watch. Uh, Little Women being a very honorable adaptation of a um, book that Chloe loves. How many adaptations have there been, Chloe, of Little Women? Eight. (laughs) <laughs> Eight adaptations it's incredible. of Little Women. <laughs> it's incredible. It's the most adapted thing, at, uh, along with Pride and Prejudice, of all time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. To, you know, a movie about a toy, uh, sort of brokered by a by Mattel mm-hmm. looking to, you know, become the next Marvel. I find that sort of deflating, but um, but I haven't seen the film. 
So you, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about the SAG strike and the sort of secondary repercussions of that? What, what does that mean for Vogue? Oh, yeah. So in my role as deputy editor, I'm, I'm involved in a lot of the – pretty much all the features planning at Vogue. And as all of us know, um, you know, actors are really our, you know, bread and butter. Like we profile actors all the time. And we're facing a moment where no one with a SAG card can talk about any project that they have upcoming. And so covers are getting canceled. Um, lineups are being reconsidered. Disclaimers, very, very clear disclaimers are being added to stories that are already in um, that will be coming out in the weeks and months to come that just, you know, say very clearly that this interview and these uh, photographs were taken before the SAG strike. So, um, you know, it's it's a challenge in that uh, we're not able to cover a subject that we devote so much of our attention to. But it's also sort of an opportunity. I mean, Vogue covers – Vogue is, you know, preoccupied with all sorts of parts of the culture. And I really find that um, one of the most satisfying parts of the job, that we're interested in athletes. We're interested in, you know, uh, politicians, in um, uh, musicians, and obviously in – uh, all sorts of areas of the arts, uh, and then there's fashion. And so I think if you rope off TV and movie actors for a period, uh, the the positive spin on that is that we might find some really interesting stories about people that we might otherwise squeeze out because we're covering the latest film or the latest uh, movie star. But also, I mean, it affects stylists. No one is yeah. Celebrity no stylists are out of work yeah. right now. <laughs> Hairs make hairdressers, makeup artists. Yeah, I mean, a there's whole a whole in, secondary. Oh, for sure. And you know, uh, Chelmy, you know this as well as anyone. Like, so much of our sort of, frankly, I mean, traffic comes from the fascination yeah. with red carpet moments, yeah. and they're going to be none. No. And that's crazy to think about. Yeah. Um, what happens to the film festivals? And also, do films delay opening? I think – so from what I'm seeing, all the sort of publicists I'm talking to are sending, you know, emails that are basically saying um, nothing's been decided, nothing's been decided, nothing's been decided. I feel like everything has been thrown up in the air and it may take a week or two or more for the pieces to settle. Um, I hear different arguments. I hear that, uh, you know, small movies – which are sort of award season movies, are really going to struggle to find their audience without the kind of sure. red carpet moments and, and celebrity moments uh, at Venice and Toronto and Telluride and places like that. There's also an argument that the big budget movies, the movies that uh, studios have spent a lot, a lot of money on, it's just too risky to put them out into a climate where uh, stars can't promote them. And those are the movies, not the smaller art house films, but the big budget films, those are the movies that may be delayed. Uh, I'm slightly more feeling like the f first argument is more persuasive than the second. I feel like people are going to go see Wonka. People are going to go see Dune. People are going to go see these big tentpole movies regardless if there's a big starry red carpet to promote them. Um, will they go see the next version of Past Lives, which was probably my so favorite good. movie of the year oh, so, so far? Good. You know, and you all talk to Greta. Everyone should listen to our Greta Lee interview. Yeah, and you go see that a, movie. But imagine trying to promote that movie if you don't have a personality yeah. like Greta Lee to sure. speak to it. Impossible. So, yeah. Impossible. Uh, I am prepared to tell you, though, my favorite movies of 2023, which you can go back and watch <laughs> now while you're waiting for. Go on. Um, go on. <laughs> 
If everyone, if everyone can see the eye roll that uh, this, that Chloe just gave me, uh, well, I think past lives, past lives really is the best movie yeah. I've okay. seen this yes. year. And um, I thought a movie called A Thousand and One, which is oh, yeah. a film by A.V. Rockwell with Tayana that Taylor, was amazing. Was too. a I really incredible movie, movie and uh, worth going back to and finding. I really liked a very small indie movie called uh, Palm Trees and Power Lines, which was a first film by a female director named Jamie Dack and stars a very young and very uh, appealing actress named Lily McInerney that I would encourage people to seek out. So those are three indie films I really liked. Uh, and then there's a really good movie called Passages, which is a French movie by the director Ira Sachs uh, coming out in August, and it stars Adele XR Chopolis, did I say oh, that? Oh, yeah, right? I loved her. She's amazing in it, and it's sort of a love triangle with Franz Vygotsky and Ben Wishaw, and that one I'm really excited for people to see. Taylor, two questions for you before we let you scurry up to deputy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like some early September issue stories have been coming up online. Uh, very exciting. You wrote about Wes Moore, who's oh, sort right. of a Democratic hopeful Oh, yeah. I mean, he's very content to be the governor of Maryland right now. I think he would cringe a little bit to be framed as a hopeful, by which I think you mean presidential yes. hopeful. Yes. Uh, or just a hope for the party on a national scale. Totally. It's it's undeniable. This is a— We need some hope, guys. —44 44-year-old <laughs> Democratic governor of Maryland, won a sort of surprise victory last uh, November— and um, he I, – I was really drawn to him because he uh, – really So handsome. Yeah. Well, that, the whole family. I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> but he is handsome <laughs> and he has an amazing, beautiful family, two kids. Um, and uh, But he made a name for himself as a writer before he made a name for himself now as a politician. He wrote a memoir called The Other Wes Moore, uh, which was a big bestseller and is quite a compellingly written story about – his childhood, and it's uh, he talks about another young man his age. Um, Governor Westmore grew up in a Maryland suburb, uh, but and then spent a lot of time as a young man in Baltimore. And there was a guy his age, also named Westmore, a black man growing up in Baltimore, who fell into trouble with crime and drugs and uh, was incarcerated. And Governor Moore sort of wrote this memoir about. Parallel tracks, you know, mm-hmm. you, there but for the grace of God go I is kind of the theme of of the book, and it really made him into a star. He's written three or four other books since, and uh, he also headed up Robin Hood, which is sort of a premier philanthropic organization here in New York, and then found his way into politics. So I was interested in that road, um, mm-hmm. and I found him really compelling. Um, I think it is easy right now to be a compelling governor of Maryland where Democrats enjoy a supermajority in the legislature so he can get what he wants to get done done. Um, I think the challenges will await him further down his career when he enters into – if he enters into national politics in a, in a bigger way. But um, yeah, that's a big profile photographed by Annie Leibovitz in our September issue and we – uh, and, and sitting editor Chloe Mal. Uh, excuse me. The sitting <laughs> editor on this historic shoot of Governor Westmore was our very own Chloe Mal. Um, and I desperately tried to get that poor dog in the shoot, and is he the did dog not, not in the it. shoot? No, Tucker was cut. Tucker, and it will never be forgotten. Tucker is a shipu. It's half Shitsu, half um, poodle. But uh, one of my favorite lines from Taylor's piece is that uh, Governor Moore is like, "I keep saying a shit poo, but apparently that's not right." <laughs> we, can't, we can't. We can't have a shit poo in the in the government house in, in Annapolis. But also, apparently, Tucker does have a lot of gastrointestinal issues. So. Oh my goodness. <laughs> 
Okay. Okay. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. The run-through will be back with Margot Robbie in just a moment. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices, and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th. This podcast is supported by Macy's. Whether packing for a destination vacation or planning a backyard staycation, Macy's has what you need this summer. Shop the easiest and breeziest brands like Nina Parker, Vince Camuto, and Dolce Vita. Macy's has all your must-have items from sundresses to matching sets to wedges, beach bags and towels, you name it. Stock up for summer at Macy's. Shop at Macy's.com slash own your style today. That's Macy's.com slash own your style. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. We're back with the run-through with Vogue. If you are living under a rock and have missed the omnipresent marketing for the Barbie movie, it is coming out tomorrow. Barbie is directed by Greta Gerwig and was co-written by Gerwig and her partner Noah Baumbach. And the movie is a star-studded explosion of pink and fabulousness with Ryan Gosling, who is so fabulous as Ken. Yeah, I mean, isn't it literally the summer of Barbie? I'm kind of ready for it to be over, to be honest. We've been... pretty excited to be talking to Margot. I mean, this is She huge. was fabulous. I was extremely yeah. impressed. She was dressed in full... Full Barbie core. Full Barbie core. She's really embraced method dressing in she a way I've really never has. seen before on the red carpet. Yes. Um, uh, full commitment. We it, it was it was it was really fun to talk to her and and you know, she talked about uh what it was like to be on set and and how high maintenance it is to be a Barbie girl. <laughs> I mean, no surprises there. Exactly. We do want to say that this interview was taped before the SAG-AFTRA strike began. Oh, yes. Good point. So Margot is not crossing any picket lines. No, no, no. But here she is. Margot, can you tell us about this fabulous oat share ensemble that you're wearing? <laughs> I am wearing a Chanel version of, yeah, it's an oat to share, exactly like you said, from Clueless. I'm wearing a yellow... Uh, mini skirt and kind of like a cropped blazer sort of 
tweed, but it's it's bright yellow, and I've got a fluffy white Chanel bag. I'm sorry, uh, kind of like her fluffy white backpack in the movie. Wow, <laughs> I'm not surprised you said the word pink because I'm sure I know you've been wearing a lot of pink lately. <laughs> it is. It's a compulsion now. It comes. I, I, it's, it seeped so thoroughly into my subconscious. I I can't help it. We were just talking before you came on about how you've sort of really incarnated method dressing. That this is like just a very uh, impressive feat of full um, method ensembles. What has that been like for you? Because is this your natural inclination for style? No, it's uh, not. But I'm loving it. Uh, And I'm not the only one leaning in. I can't tell you how it's like everyone was just waiting for someone to give them permission to wear such barbified versions of what they'd normally wear. Every We're doing junkets at the moment. Every journalist who comes in is like wearing glitter or like oh my God. sequins or multicolored or like pink. And I, I don't mean just the ladies. Like the guys, Amazing. I feel, have just been waiting for someone to give them permission. And now they're just, they're going for it. It's so great. And on set, when we were shooting the movie, I made a rule that on Wednesdays we wear pink. Oh, oh my God. That. In honor of... Um, <laughs> In honor of Mean Girls, obviously, which is funny also because so many of, like, the younger crew members, particularly the girls, were like, oh, on Wednesdays we wear pink and start quoting the movie. And so many other people like, like, uh, why are we doing this on a Wednesday and not a Friday? Um, <laughs> but, yeah, if you didn't wear pink on Wednesday, you'd get a Barbie fine. And I'd come around with, like, a jar and make people pay money and then we'd give it to charity. So it was a... Uh, oh, my God. It began, the pink began long before uh, where we are today. But it's been fun. And now for the press tour, all the outfits, of course, we are having a lot of fun, either paying homage to the the icons of my youth, like Cher from Clueless, or whether we're paying homage to actual Barbies. Yesterday, I was wearing kind of like an ode to or, or Valentino's replication of a 2015 Barbie called Pink and Fabulous. So, was many that more the t- polka dot halter <laughs> mini yeah, dress? Yeah. That was fabulous. With the yellow bag and like a yellow <laughs> yellow bracelet. There were actual real pearls. There was so because you know Barbies their accessories are so big in scale to yeah. What our jewelry normally looks like. So there's been fun things like that. Not only for the press tour, but of course while we we're making the movie, it was a big part of coming up with the costumes and the look of Barbie land. Were you involved? Because I, I find like the scale of Barbie stuff fascinating and that it's actually everything sort of 25% smaller, yeah. but then all the accessories are bigger because the tiny hands have to be able to hold them. Was yeah, that yeah. ever weird to sort of be wearing pearls that are enormous or? Yeah, no, it was so a part of it. And something I noticed early on and I said to Jacqueline, I was like, oh, Barbie doesn't wear rings really because her ha- her fingers are kind of stuck together. So uh, <laughs> we should keep the accessories to big oversized earrings and uh, necklaces and bracelets. And uh, yeah, they were like out of proportion. But honestly, once you're in Barbie land, all this stuff suddenly starts beca- to become your reality and nothing seems strange anymore. But and for yeah, listeners we, who don't know, Jacqueline is Jacqueline Durant, the uh, costume designer. Costume designer, yes. Exactly. a legend in her own right. Yes, exactly, exactly. Margo, we want to know, you were sort of the driving force for this Barbie world that we're all now living in. What, what was the first <laughs> moment when you were like, I know what the next movie should be, Barbie? <laughs> 
I know what the world needs right I know now. What we all need. <laughs> <laughs> Weirdly, I feel like we kind of do need a Barbie movie right now. Not because it's Barbie itself, but the approach to this film has just been like it's one ginormous party and everyone's invited. And I just feel like we all need someone to say, it's okay, you can just have fun. It's okay to just, you can just enjoy yourself. We don't expect anything more of you for this, you know, hour and 40 minute ride. Just sit down and have fun. But it did begin five years ago, you know, at our company, Lucky Chap, we'd been kind of keeping tabs on the Barbie IP because there were going to be Barbie films getting up and running elsewhere. And and then it didn't come to fruition, so we kind of thought, okay, if that if the rights ever become available, we should make a play for it because this would be, A, so exciting and terrifying, but also just it feels right for the kind of things that we go after at our company. We tell female stories and, you know, female storytellers are a big priority. So something like this felt like a big, exciting opportunity. Um, that was, yeah, almost five years ago to the week, really. And we sat with the Mattel CEO and said, this is what our, you know, approach would be to a Barbie film, not a specific narrative. And the fun thing about a Barbie film is Barbie doesn't have a specific narrative. Um, It's not like we're adapting a comic book character or a book. Uh, You know, there was kind of kind of like a clear runway for someone to come and build the story, as people have always done, particularly kids have always done with Barbies, kind of create their own stories, and she's this conduit to storytell and imagine. For so many reasons, it seemed exciting, and yes, that journey began five years ago uh, at the Polo Lounge in Beverly Hills, where I think a lot of movies begin. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know you have... you've have a bucket list of directors and you were talking about female storytellers. Is there anyone else on your list that you're thinking of when you're thinking about Lucky Chap? Oh, yeah. There's so many. The list is long. Um, I guess the first one I'm going to think of right now is Celine Song. I love her so much. Oh, that movie um, made us cry so much. Just both were like... We were a, sobbing. We heard a 10 a.m. screening in Midtown Manhattan, like sobbing. <laughs> right? Yeah. I Beautiful. Anyone who's experienced like unrequited love in particular, those movies always like hit me really hard. But I don't know if you know, but her you know, boyfriend in real life, Justin Karitskas, is an amazing writer. So they're just like this like power couple in my mind that I just love both of them and want to work with both of them. But no, my list is very long um, of, <laughs> of female directors I want to work with. Are there any directors like old school golden age of Hollywood directors who you're like, ah, if I was in the 50s or the 70s, that's who I would have loved to make a movie with? Yes. Uh, Howard Hawks films were actually, a you know, the Philadelphia story is my favorite the movie best. ever. Oh, such a good film. Um, love it so much. And actually, Catherine Hepburn's character in that was a, a bit of a reference for how Greta wanted Barbie's journey. You know, you know, she starts off so sure and strong and then kind of <laughs> crumbles and comes out better than ever. But um, also, yeah, I, Kubrick. If I'd gotten to work with Kubrick, that would have... I mean, and for a Barbie movie, I don't think people expected so many Kubrick references. Uh, we have <laughs> three Kubrick references for our Barbie movie. Um, which wow, are little Easter it, eggs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not even little Easter eggs. We literally start the movie with the, the 2001 oh, yeah, Space Oh, um, We're pretty overt with that reference, Barbie being a monolith. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's kind of like the beauty of working with Greta is she is such a cinephile and so smart. And she references a lot of older films 
in this movie, um, particularly 50s soundstage musicals, you know, like in American in Paris. and Yeah, all the and, Minnellis you know, seem to be very yeah. present. Oklahoma, you know, ones where it's like, you know, whether she's referencing like that IB Technicolor, like um, the, the Technicolor musicals for like the color, we kind of came up with our own color chart, uh, which you have to do anyway, but we called it Techno Barbie in in kind of honor of Technicolor musicals. And uh, she's kind of using every tool at her fingertips, but particularly the very tangible and obviously artificial ones with this movie, Greta is. It's the whole world that she creates and all our genius heads of department have created in this movie. The the human-made quality is meant to be very evident to us. Everything's meant to look handmade. It's meant to look like you could pick it up. Yeah, it was just, it was kind of built into the fabric of creating this whole movie, but it was also just a delight to be on a set because you could touch and see everything. And they did build the dream houses and hand paint the backdrops behind us for like the sky and the mountains. And even the transportation sequence, you see us go, you know, to get from Barbie land to the real world. It's just so satisfying to watch. It's just delightful. And I think that's tapping into that sense of play, but also that kind of like appreciation of, oh, wow, humans made this movie. It doesn't feel like it was made inside a computer. We kept using the phrase um, authentically artificial. Everything had to be authentically artificial. What was it like the moment when you, because I actually interviewed the production designers about the Great. set and they're just so incredible and I just can't imagine the experience of walking onto that soundstage and seeing a life-size dream house do you remember the first time you walked on and and saw and was like oh my god I'm actually in Barbie land oh yeah it was incredible and actually it was incrementally for me because uh because we were in pre-production while they were constructing the sets so you know our offices were on the same lot where we shot at Leavesden in London. And uh, so I'd always be walking in and being like, oh, you know, anytime you'd get a little gap, we'd look at each other and be like, should we go to, let's go to M stage. Let's see where they're going with the, you know, the pink house set or the, you know, which is our president suite, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. And so you could go and watch the construction teams for a while and see it in its various stages of, of yeah, being formulated. And it was just incredible because, again, you, it was a real opportunity to appreciate how handmade and creative all these things were. And I have to say, you've never seen bigger smiles on people's faces, but particularly <laughs> the men who would find any excuse to go to set and look at the dream houses and they were very <laughs> proud of what they'd built and they were loving it. I remember my driver, Danny, he uh, he kind of got a glimpse of the set one day and I was like, Danny, come have a look. And he was like, oh, is that a slide going from the bedroom to the pool? And I was like, it sure is. And, he was, <laughs> and I was like, see, you're excited too. It's, it's so, it was so good. And people from other movies that were also shooting at the same studio lot were finding reasons to like come over to the Barbie set and check it out. Like Fast and the Furious was shooting across the way from us. And they would like kind of like meander over like in their SWAT team outfits or whatever and be like, what's going on over here? And we're like, Come on in. Come to Barbie Land. Uh, yeah, it was it was fun. What were some of your favorite looks that you wore in the movie? Because I imagine you had quite the wardrobe in that in that movie. I had quite the wardrobe and an extensive one because Barbie 
uh, her outfits change with her activity, which means if she's doing 10 activities in a day, she's she's got 10 outfits um, and hairstyles that magically change as well. So it's, it was so fun and there's a lot to pick from, but uh, a favorite? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I did... It was very. You can uh, pick more surreal. than one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll walk through them all. Um, it was it was very surreal the day that I put on an archival Chanel suit that I'd known I'd seen the picture of Claudia Schiffer wearing it. Um, um, I was like, oh wow, number one, am I going to fit this? Um, but when I got to the day of shooting, I went to put it on and I saw a little tag on the inside, and someone had had written Claudia. Oh my god! Oh. And I was just like. <gasps> This is so cool. She, like the last person to wear it was Claudia Schiffer, who's such like a real life Barbie anyway. It was just, it was like a, a cool moment. So that outfit was very fun. But any, I think there's a very fun outfit in the movie when I kind of, I'm trying not to give spoilers, but I like return to Barbie land. I'm wearing, you know, a full Barbie, Barbie outfit, quintessentially Barbie in that it's like got pastel colors and the pattern. And I've got a hat and a top that has a bow and a jacket over the top and the heels and then like this poofy skirt. And it's just, she looks so precious because <laughs> Barbie's always got all the things. And I don't know, Greta and I always laugh. We're like, oh, Barbie's like your friend that would take like four suitcases for a three-day trip. Oh, yeah, like, 100%. You're like, I love you, but you do not need to bring that many things. <laughs> like she's not your friend that you just like rock up to her house and you're like, let's go get something to eat. She'd be like, okay, I need like an hour and 40 minutes to get ready. And you're like, okay, no spontaneous activities. She's high maintenance in in like a in a lovely way. Everyone um, has so that anyways. friend. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're like, I have to blow dry my hair. You're like, we, it's just a burger. Anyways, um, there's this outfit where she looks particularly high maintenance because she's got so many cute like accessories and it matches and all that. But she has this massive tantrum and the costume devolves as does as her mood does. And by the end of it, a few scenes later, the material actually, Jacqueline, has changed the material so that it's this matte, heavier um, fabric instead of like this shiny silk oh, fabric. Wow. It's the same pattern and you can't really notice it, but the poofiness is gone, the shape of it's gone, it's just deflated. And oh, it's such a clever. Yeah. And it's, it's just those things that you're not going to watch the movie and be like, oh, wow, she's deflated, which is a, a foreshadowing of, you know, you're not conscious of it, but it's there and it all adds to the experience. Like another thing I don't think people are going to be conscious of when they watch the movie, but in hindsight it's very fun to pick up on, is that we kind of move through the decades with the oh. costumes. So at the beginning, you know, Barbie was created in the 50s and you've, we've got like these poodle skirts and, you know, 50s silhouettes and then it kind of starts evolving into a more 60s silhouettes and then it's a bit of 70s and then you've got like 70s disco and you've got these like bell bottoms and we're doing a disco thing and then you've got like 80s, 90s, this neon rollerblading outfit and then the, there's a whole plot point and the Kens reintroduce some things from the, the real world. Anyway, so then we were like, oh, this is a good way to incorporate the noughties and like the more like 2000s era kind of outfits and we just moved chronologically, you know, and it worked with the story, which was really fun. But uh, there's things like that that are just so clever, not obvious, but all a part of the fabric of the film. We interviewed this amazing woman who's a Barbie collector named Darian Darling, and she gave a sort of schooled us on the history of Barbie, which I just remember in your interview with Abby for Vogue, you had such smart, thoughtful things to say about thinking about Barbie sexiness and how to 
work with that. And I was just curious how that process worked for you, like, you know, figuring out, like, was Barbie going to be sexy or sexualized or et cetera? Yeah, it was it was such a funny thing. And there was always like a line, especially, you know, when speaking to the costumes, it's like a short skirt felt proportionally correct for Barbie. (laughs) But you didn't want it to be like, it was short because the proportions were satisfying in the outfit's entirety, not because you were trying to put on a short skirt or like uh, the cut of the top. Sometimes Jacqueline and I would put something on and we'd both look and we were like, mm, no, we've taken it too far now. Pull up. Okay, neckline there. Okay, yes. And it sometimes it was a matter of like an inch mm-hmm. could give you a different kind of feeling. Um, and then we had a lot of fun. There's a point in the movie where Barbie has to, like, get her grafting boots on with Ken. Um, yeah. And and then we were talking about, like, oh, now we're dressing for him. And that's a different thing. You know, sometimes you're dressing for your girlfriends and sometimes you're dressing for, like, a dude to notice perhaps. And it's, like, that's a different outfit. Like, I know the outfits I'm putting on <laughs> that my husband's, like, what are you wearing? And I'm like, I know my girlfriends are going to think this is awesome. I don't care what you think. And then sometimes I'm like, honey, it's your birthday and we're going on a date night. I know exactly the dress I want to wear that will make you very happy. So, uh, yeah, there's kind of like this thing where, like, Barbie dresses for her and the other Barbies um, and what they would like. And sexiness kind of tips it into something else where you're doing it for someone else perhaps. But there is, yeah, I, I would make it a little more literal if I had those questions like, oh, you know, like, why isn't Barbie into Ken if our Ken looks like Ryan Gosling? Why is she immune to the charms and aesthetic of Ryan Gosling? And I'm like, well, she can't smell pheromones because uh, we don't have any. And, uh, like, I guess she just doesn't have that urge. She doesn't have reproductive organs. She doesn't have – she, of course, you can be immune to the charm and the looks of a Ken that looks like a Ryan Gosling because – those things, those things that us mammals have, is, that's not working on her. She's a plastic doll. Um, but a part of that has no organs theory is that, uh, yeah, I don't think she has sexual urges. That's why a lot of people have asked, like, about sexual orientation for, for the Kens and Barbies in the thing, and we're like, well, they're dolls. They don't have a sexual orientation. They don't have reproductive organs. There isn't that inclination at all. Um, and so, yes, the sexiness... People can project sexiness onto her or sexualized ideas onto her, but she should never be exuding them. That felt like it was at odds with the whole theory of her being a doll. That makes sense. We've been living with Barbiecore now for a while, and I'm wondering how your your personal style, your, your off-duty style is, is influenced and how you would describe it now. I have so many more pairs of heels, ironically. <laughs> Interesting. Like, Four-inch yeah. or three-inch? Because like, I think Barbie's high, a four-inch, I would say. High, high heels. <laughs> wow. I, had, I had a few pairs, but I've, I've even noticed I'm running out of room in my cupboard. And I just, I don't know, I am. It's not so much that my wardrobe's turned pink, although there is a lot more pink because of the, the we wear pink on Wednesdays thing. It just meant that I kept <laughs> buying things because I was like, oh, what am I going to wear this Wednesday when I come into work for the three seconds before I, you know, get into costume. <laughs> uh, but uh, so, yes, there is more pink on my wardrobe than there used to be. But also I'm just, I think in general, leaning into caring about my outfits more than I used to. <laughs> well, also, uh, you and Choma are both great rollerbladers. Oh, my. Well, I'm are you a rollerblader. I'm a quads girl. Oh, quads girl. Sorry. Sorry. What does that mean? Skates. That- skates. Okay. Skates. Yeah, I love skates. <laughs> Can you, like, dance and do the, like, make it look 
Grace. I Wonkel. used to be able to, but I'm I'm rusty. They closed a lot of rinks here, you know, and they guess they just have a. They opened a new flippers. Is yeah. a new one, so I should get back into it. But I yeah. was teasing our. Uh, deputy editor who edits all the cover stories that that's become like the new thing for cover <laughs> interviews is to be rollerblading skating? or roller skating because you and Abby did it and Choma went to Ghana and rollerbladed sorry roller skated with Michaela Cole on the streets no of Accra so which oh. seemed really dangerous but by the where way do you I'm like just... to rollerblade what do you like what's your routine um First of all, I'm jealous that you went roller skating with Michaela Cole. That's incredibly <laughs> cool. Um, and second of all, my answer to that is on the Venice boardwalk, actually. So fun. I love that. Which is hilarious. You and Barbie because, collide. Yeah, no, seriously. My girlfriends and I, we all go along the Venice boardwalk. We skate. We we go rollerblading and stuff on the weekend um, because it's actually also great exercise, but doesn't feel – it's like yeah. that trick exercise. Like I was definitely sweating in Accra. Let me tell you, in the midday sun. Yeah. It's yeah. It's not a. It's it's a workout, yeah. but it's also a workout where you can be chatting to your friends at the same time and be outside and looking at pretty things. So, have you ever gone rollerblading in real life with Ryan? Gosling? No, and I I asked him if he wanted to, and he I I think he thought I was joking, but I was actually being serious. <laughs> And, and then I just let it lie. I was like, "Oh yeah, no, I was joking too. We don't we don't need to go rollerblading." <laughs> What can you tell us about any of your next projects or anything that you're excited about for the rest of 2023 besides lots of Barbie core? Yes, I am so excited. We produced a film called Saltburn, which if you've seen the movie Promising Young Woman, mm-hmm. yes. which was written and directed by Emerald Fennell. Mm. Emerald Fennell, this is her second film, Saltburn, but fun fact is Midge in the Barbie movie. Oh, ah, fun. Amazing. Yeah, she's like Greta, a multi-talented, like can wear all the hats, actress, writer, director, um, genius. And I'm very excited to answer your question about Saltburn because it is coming out later in the year. I don't act in it. I'm, I'm a producer on it. But it is so incredible. Also shot in London, just outside of London. I think it's a, yeah. It's is Emerald just in it? Incredible. No, no, no. She wrote and directed it. Um, but she's not in it. It uh, Barry Keegan, Jacob Elordi, Rosamund Pike, Richard E. Grant. It's an amazing amazing cast and it's just oh we're excited for that oh get excited for it I'm like yeah I would be really deflated after Barbie if I didn't know I had something so exciting afterwards to look forward to do you find producing to be as exciting or what's the do you find you want to lean in more to that or is that how I do I love it like I, I just I just love I love making movies so so much and as a producer you get to be there for the whole process as an actor you're only there for a couple of months making movie takes you know around five years I mean in this case five years for Barbie but mm. you know and some movies come together quick I remember from start to finish Tonya was so fast um but then other movies I mean we've been developing stuff for like the last nine years so so it, it's but you're there for every step you get to see it from its inception all the way out into the world and beyond um and that is just so fun and you get to see someone like Greta Gerwig like I got to be there hearing her and Noah t- testing jokes you know for the Barbie movie and that you you know you just you get to see the whole thing evolve and it's so fascinating it's such an insight into different artists minds 
Well, Margot, we know you have to go. Thank you so, so much. Yeah. It's been Can't such wait a treat. To watch it. Oh. I feel like people are going to go dress to the nines. Yeah, my girl group chat for like weeks now has been people of being like, should I wear this to go see Barbie or should I wear this to go see Barbie? <laughs> it's so fun. So <laughs> lean in, have fun, get swept up in it. Yeah. Well, awesome. thank you, Margot. Have you a great so Barbie it's, summer. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Bye. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye. That's it for the run through. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you next week. We have a little surprise for you. Oh, you sure do. <laughs> the Run Through Evoke is a production of Condé Nast Entertainment. The show is produced by Susie Lechtenberg, Chelsea Daniel, and Alex John Burns. It's engineered by Jake Loomis, Gabe Kiroga, and Kevin Burasa, and mixed by Mike Kutchman. See you soon. Bye. I'm Richard Lawson. I'm Chris Murphy. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast, a weekly television podcast that obsesses over all things TV. Chris, Hillary, and I are at your service to recap and analyze the best that's out there and what you should be watching. Plus, we're talking to the stars and showrunners about how exactly it all got made. New episodes of Still Watching drop weekly wherever you listen to podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com.